Dallas. Thank you, Dallas. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Can you hear me okay yet? Okay. We'll give that a second to come up too. Thanks for being here this morning. Welcome to uh, Burke Community Church. Welcome to December and um, some great football coming up. And uh, welcome to the typical kind of fiasco, I guess, with our audio-visual stuff. I'm sorry about that. Uh, maybe it's a hidden blessing. We have a, really a difficult topic to talk about this morning. And I've been struggling with what to, how to kick it off and how to start it. And I had a video that we were going to watch that actually is pretty disturbing. So perhaps it's good we didn't watch it. Um, why don't we open with prayer and then we'll get going. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that lives inside us and gives us life. Um, open our minds and our hearts to your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, this morning, if you didn't see the topic yet, it is about, the title of the chapter is Avoiding Destructive Behavior. You know, I thought it's curious, we're getting here towards the end of, um, end of the competition here for the road to Mike's, and sometimes that gets a little bit heated and a little, little competition going. I don't know if that's destructive behavior exactly, probably not, but it is fun that we have this competition going. And uh, that it gets intense. It gets a little competitive. And so, you know, emotions start to flare. And I guess I'm kind of using that as a joke because it's humorous. I also enjoy the, the rivalry, the competition that we have at the tables. And you can see, though, you know, it is kind of this natural thing that we have inside us that makes us uh, want to do well, want to compete. You know, we compare each other. We compare how we're doing on these tables to one another. And that kind of theme is sort of a little bit what comes up in, as a source of what's going on with this being cautious about danger, being cautious about uh, aggressiveness and violent behavior. So, oh, I can't flip to my slides. I was going to say, let's take a look at the slides and see what we're talking about this morning. So, um, the notes follow very closely to this. So let's talk about what's in Timothy and Titus. Uh, in 1 Timothy, an overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or, or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. So pugnacious is our word that we're looking at out of the text about this idea of destructiveness, destructive behavior. Uh, Titus, Paul uses the same words. Uh, in 7 through 9 there, for an overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable. Loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the, the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he would be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict it. So when we think about pugnacious, that's like a strange word to me. What does that mean? 
The New American Standard uses that, and you look that up in Merriam-Webster, you see having a quarrelsome or combative nature. Dictionary.com, inclined to quarrel or fight readily, quarrelsome, belligerent, combative. The Greek text, literally the translation is striker, and that's the word that the King James uses. If you have the NIV, it says violent. It just calls it, calls it out. It makes it a little more clear to what we relate. It's kind of a bully. You look at the synonyms of what this means to try to get a context of what is that Greek word trying to reveal to us? Aggressiveness, argumentative, assaultive, brawly, scrappy, confrontational, contentious. It even uses words like militant and warlike. It's this disposition of uh, being in conflict or being confrontational. It's the opposite of being peaceful or agreeable. So we're talking about how we control our anger, how we avoid being violent. Anger is one thing, and Richard spoke well to that last week about it's okay to be angry, but don't sin. And so this week it's more like, well, what does happen when, when that anger is materialized in a bad way, in a sinful way, what does it look like? It looks like violence, for one. It looks like pugnaciousness. You know, this topic is... Uh, difficult if we go back to scripture and you look at it it's on the your sheet there on the handout uh, and we look at the context of how Paul presents this in the list and and look at the words around it and how he presents this idea if we go back to first Timothy well p- please notice how it talks about an overseer must not be addicted to wine or pugnacious. He precedes this with alcohol. Same thing in Titus. Not addicted to wine. Not pugnacious. You know, alcohol has a powerful impact on us. It makes us, as humans, some things that we wouldn't normally do. It lowers our inhibitions. I mean, we, we know that. Paul's insightful. He placed it in Scripture right before, you know, this context of controlling your alcohol in front of not being violent. And you think about the domestic violence that we see today in the house. You think think about what happens at bars, bar fights, uh, sexual assaults. Like how much context in our world today of violence comes out of an alcohol incident. Drunk driving, that's violent. And yet, you know, if we, st- if we had uh, a big danger sign, warning, we would say is this is something that we're all vulnerable to. It's something that we all, as humans, are capable of doing. We all have that sin nature that 
we struggle with. And so it can be something that we, we slip into. It can be something that we struggle with. It can be something that happens when we have outbursts, when we lose our temper, we don't ever intend to do. But you can see how we're all vulnerable to this kind of stuff. I was going to start this with a clip of the, the 84 movie that portrayed um, Francine Hughes. The one, um, she is the, the wife that was beaten for like 13 years. And back in 1977 in Michigan, she's the one that set her husband on fire when he was sleeping. And they did that movie in 1984, the TV movie with Farrah Fawcett in it. And she got all kinds of awards about the realistic portrayal of this violence. But, you know, it shows a man out of control. And he didn't start that way. He didn't go into marriage for the purpose of beating his wife. They had four kids. And he drank a lot of alcohol. You see that in the movie. You see that in the clip, how it's relevant to his behavior at times. And, you know, you read about the family and you see how the how it's destructive. Violence is a destructive thing. Solomon in Proverbs 4, he's talking about to his son about the way of wisdom towards having a healthy life, and this is what he says, verses uh, 14. Don't enter the path of the wicked, and do not proceed the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it and pass on, for they cannot sleep unless they do evil. They're robbed of sleep um, unless they make someone stumble, for they eat the bread of wickedness, and they drink the wine of violence. Interesting, he uses that imagery of drinking violence, drinking wine and violence, and compares it together. You know, our human condition gets, there's a quote out of his book that I thought is really relevant to this. It's called out on, a, on the side. But it just kind of jumps off the page, at least it did for me when I read it. He says, when sin entered the world, humanity inherited an incredible capacity for violence. And we seek to try to think, where does this come from? Where does this violence come from? Well, you know, it's been here since the fall. We had a beautiful creation, and we had the husband and the wife in Genesis 2. They're in the garden in Genesis 3, and they fall. And then in Genesis 4, we have Cain and Abel. Brothers. He rises up against him. And God even warns him. He's, he's saying in 4-7, and if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you. Sin's desire is for us to control us, to get us off track, to distract us, to cause us to stumble into some kind of disposition of being violent or aggressive or combative. It happened to Cain. It happened throughout the Old Testament too, didn't it? You know, in the flood in Genesis 11, you remember one of the reasons God gave for his, his disappointment with the earth and with the people, it was violence. He 
he says, now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God and the earth was filled with violence. It wasn't just sin. Part of the sin he was so grieved about was the violence going on in the, in the community. Look at Moses. He killed the Egyptian guard out of what? He didn't plan. He didn't rise up planning to go kill guards. He got angry. He saw the guy beating another Hebrew and he, he killed him. And then he, you know, he suffered consequences for that. How about David? He's a man after God's own heart. Just like us. And he took another man's wife and he schemed for his death. And look at, and this is a man that loved the Lord. Was close to him. If that could happen to David. You know, God forgave him and he repented. That's one of the great lessons we get from him. Is he repented and he turned from his sin. But man, did he have consequences too. I mean, look, his son raped his daughter. His other son got mad and had that son killed. I mean, it was a very destructive. So there's consequences. There's forgiveness, but there's consequences to behavior. So what about today? I mean, this is why I say it's like a big warning sign for us because we don't really intend to go out and get into a bar fight or strike our wives or our kids. You know, but it happens. What Think about the Nazis. They had... What happened in the concentration camps? Think about uh, Unbroken, that movie, and how that displayed those people. And then they go back and they interviewed them years later. And, you know, the guy that they referred to um, that was beating him all the time, he was a normal man. He was twisted in that environment. And he, he, he was acting out to get control. No, he didn't grow up hoping that he was going to beat Jews one day. Um, we have abortion in our society today. How violent is that? That movie, Gosmel, that recently came out, I didn't see it, but I saw some of the clips. It's just horrifying. Horrible. What we do to women and to babies. And so we have violence in our culture and society, don't we? It still continues today. It didn't stop in biblical times with domestic violence, you know, and and in America, average twenty people experience intimate part partner physical violence every minute. More than ten million abuse victims annually. One in four women and one in nine men experience severe uh, physical abuse. Domestic violence hotlines nationwide receive over 20,000 calls on a typical day. And as if that wasn't enough, uh, nationally, here in Virginia, 17,664 domestic violence crimes back in 2012 on our police statistics. Over 20,000 arrests for domestic violence, 31,000 protective orders on file in Virginia. The media is not much better, is it? All the violence on TV. Academy, American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychology. 
psychology says children are influenced by what they're seeing on TVs today. They're becoming immune and numb to the horrors of violence. They begin to accept it as a way to solve problems, imitate violence the way they see it on TV. They start identifying with certain characters and acting it out. You know, TV is fake. Kids don't realize it. They don't realize that there actually is consequences when you kill people and when you, when you act out violently. It's because they don't show as much of the consequences on TV. When you go back to the trial of um, Getz relates this story, and I went and looked it back up on the internet of the the um, the Nazi Adolf Eichelman and the Eichelman trials, when they showed he was one of the really brutal guards over the Jews in World War II, and I just w- I want to read a quote from from this book because it's so relevant to what we are today, to to this message of how we're all vulnerable. Um, Chuck Colson did an interview with this man that was one of the persons that was being abused. His name was Yahil Dinner. And so he says, introducing a recent story about Nazi, Adolf Eichelman, a principal architect in the Holocaust, Wallace posed a central question to the programs out at the program's outset. How is it possible for a man to act as Ackerman acted? Was he a monster, a madman, or was he perhaps something even more terrifying? Was he normal? Normal? The executioner of millions of Jews, is that normal? Most self-respecting viewers would be outraged at the very thought. Most, the most startling answer to his question came in an interview with Denur concentration camp survivor who testified against Eichelman at the Nuremberg trials. A film clip from Eichelman's 61 trial showed Denur walking into the courtroom, stopping short, seeing Eichelman for the first time since the Nazis had sent him to Auschwitz 18 years earlier. Denur began to sob unconditionally, and then he fainted, collapsing in a heap on the floor at the presiding judicial officer as he pounded the order for order in the courtroom. And you can Google this, and you can see the guy fall on the floor. He literally falls face down, starts crying. Was he overcome by hatred or fear, horrid memories? No, it was none of these. Rather, he explained to Wallace, all at, all at once he realized Ackerman was not this godlike officer who had sent so many to their deaths. He was an ordinary man. He said, I was afraid about myself. I saw I was capable of doing this. I'm exactly like he is. Ackleman is in all of us. It's a horrifying statement, but it's a central truth of man's nature since the fall. So, none of us are Ackleman or want to be Ackleman, but where does that come from? I think Getz makes a great argument that it's from our sin nature. And grows out of how does a man find significance and self-worth? And he did an interview with a police officer, an L.A. cop, for 37 years on the force. And what did he observe from all the violence and things? And it was this culture of men that can't find their identity, men that find their self-worth and their self-esteem and things outside of, of who they are in Christ, outside of their, 
value and worth as the Lord designed them. So they're comparing themselves to other men. They're looking at material things, and those will become valuable. Who has the most stuff? They're looking at um, these external things to try to build themselves up. And when they can't get it or when they can't get enough, you know, that becomes so elevated that human life becomes devalued, and they, they turn to violence. They try to protect the things that they have. Um, it's a misunderstanding of who they are as people. It's a misunderstanding of their value and worth as God created them. You know, we know Psalms 139, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. I know it very well. And when we don't understand that and embrace that, and when we don't live out the gospel that he died us, died for us while we were still yet sinners, that he died for us and he loves us, and we didn't earn that, that we don't have to compete and we don't have to compare, we don't have to look for external reasons and things to build us up and to make us feel good. You know, there's a, this idea of self-esteem that comes from your performance. But that's always sort of in this context of expectations. You know, what happens when your performance goes down, if you have that kind of a model, is your self-esteem goes down? Or what happens if your expectations, it could be yours, it could be expectations that your dad or somebody else has of you or what you think they have of you. As expectations go up, your self-esteem goes down because you just can't get there. So the model that we're blessed with as Christians is we find our self-worth in the Lord. We're valuable by his unconditional love for us because we're created in his image, and that's eternal. We have eternal significance because of him. We have eternal worth and self-acceptance because of Christ and Christ's death on resurrection and then we act and live in such a way out of a gratitude, not out of performance, not out of trying to reach a standard of, uh, uh, of acceptability or a certain status in the culture, but because we love the Lord and we live it out and we know that he loved us before or after we made colonel or general or director or whatever the positions that we're seeking. Sometimes when I'm meeting with folks in my office, I show them this and I give it to them, this little Identity in Christ bookmark um, made by the folks at Freedom in Christ. And it just has scriptures about how we're accepted, we're secure, and we're significant. And when we understand that, you know, the gospel is incredibly freeing in our lives. It sets us free to be who we are, to be the people and the men that God created us to be. So I need to start concluding up here. So how do we overcome these kind of things and be on our guard, be on our watch? Well, uh, first, aggressiveness can be verbal and physical. So we have to sort of be self-disciplined to pay attention to that. We have to embrace the gospel in our lives. Things like biblical uh, accountability, confession, and, and, and forgiveness uh, when we have violated others. And then we, we, take, we daily renew our faith. We walk with him, you know, First Corinthians or uh, Romans twelve one and two. We living sacrifice to the Lord. We daily renew our minds. Ephesians four, twenty one through thirty two. It talks about putting on the new self and putting away with the old self. And you know, it's it's that same context where at the end of that section where it comes up about 
be an angry but don't sin? Sometimes we get to where life is difficult and we do have we do need help. We do need encouragement for others from others. So we encourage one another. We we get into those accountability relationships. We live out our spiritual disciplines, trying to be a godly man like we're doing here with Getz. Um, we talk to elders and pastors or we go seek professional help when we have it, you know. This topic, I was going to shy away from it until I saw, I mean, this is really close to home for me. I grew up in an abusive house with a dad who I loved, and he loved me, and he loved my mom, but he used to beat her, and the alcohol was often involved. And he wasn't a bad man. He was out of control. Maybe he was a bad man, you know. His behavior was bad. So I know, like, he didn't, he didn't grow up and desire to do that. But he also didn't understand his self-worth and his value, and he was looking for it in a lot of different places. So it could happen to any of us. Pugnaciousness, this violent disposition, violates the image of God. We're all vulnerable to it, but the gospel sets us free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John eight thirty two. If we had a big danger sign, it would just be to know that we're all vulnerable because we're human, but we all live by grace. There's some questions for you to discuss in the back, and I appreciate your time this morning. Let me close in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for our time together. Pray that we always are honoring to you and that we know our self-worth and our value because we are created and loved dearly by you. In Jesus' name, amen.